You're listening to the podcast of Northside Assembly of God in Crowley, Louisiana. So we are in the middle of our series in Colossians. We're in uh, Colossians 3, getting close to the, the end of Colossians 3. And so if you have a Bible or if you have a Bible app, go ahead and find your place there in Colossians 3. As you're doing that, let me tell you, uh, the, the Post family, our last Sunday here, is going to be June 13th. June 13th will be our last Sunday here. So I have six sermons left to give you. doesn't seem like a lot. It's over, it's over eight Sundays, but it'll be six sermons. And one of my big goals right now is to finish the book of Colossians with you. Uh, that's actually the biggest thing on my list right now. Selling our house is second. Number one is finishing Colossians with you. And we're going to do that in six sermons, I promise. We can finish the rest of it in six sermons, which is going to be odd because today we're only covering one verse. But uh, that's just the way it works out. So we're going to be in just a moment. In just a moment, we'll be in Colossians chapter 3. The title of the sermon today, it's going to be kind of a teaching. It's called Judgment and Discernment. Judgment and Discernment. You know, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, near the end, Jesus famously says, do not judge lest ye be judged. And then we see that kind of reaffirmed several times in the New Testament that that as followers of Jesus, we are not to be caught up in judgment. Uh, We are are not in the position to judge. So there's a, a form of judgment that is wrong for us to participate in. And yet what's interesting is just a few verses later, um, basically in the same breath, Jesus says, beware of false prophets. He says, you'll recognize them by their fruits, which to me at least involves some type of judgment on our part. So there's a, a bad kind of judgment that we are not to engage in, that we are to avoid as followers of Jesus. But then there's a form of judgment that is actually healthy and important for us to engage in. And for the purposes of this sermon, I'm going to call the good kind of judgment discernment to separate it from the wrong kind of judgment. So that's going to be our subject today, judgment and discernment. And we're going to bounce off this verse, Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. And uh, here's what Paul writes. You know, he just got finished uh, talking to them about putting on Um, humility and and mercy and and several other virtues. But here's what he says to kind of close it all out in verse 14. He says, and over all these virtues, put on love, put on love. It's kind of the image of clothing yourself, clothe yourselves with love. That's our job. Clothe yourself with love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let's pause and pray. Thank you, Lord, for your wonderful presence in this room. Thank you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters in this room. We're gathered here, God, because we need an encounter with you. Not just on Sunday, but every day. I pray that we would be a people defined by your love, that who would clothe ourselves with your love, willing to ascribe worth to every person we meet at personal cost to ourselves if necessary. May we bear your image, not just physically, but in every aspect of our lives, in our relationships, in the way we treat one another. I pray that we would resemble our Father in heaven. Lord, let this message be anointed and empowered to that end. And let the seed of your word be planted deeply in our heart today. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. And over all these virtues, put on love. Clothe yourself with love. In contrast to the the many crazy ways that our culture defines love, the Bible defines love by pointing us to the cross. This is how we know what love is, John says. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, so also we should lay our lives down for one another. So the most important thing, the defining mark of the kingdom, the distinguishing characteristic of God's very essence, therefore the distinguishing characteristic of God's children, is that day in and day out, we clothe ourselves with the kind of love that was revealed when God set aside his divine glory, became a human being, and dove into our hell and died a hellish death on the cross. And he did this, Scripture says, while we were yet enemies. He ascribed unsurpassable worth, immeasurable value to every person on this planet. And he did this by paying an unsurpassable price. And he did it when we couldn't have deserved it any less. This is what genuine agape love looks like. And it's the kind of love that God is. It's his eternal nature. And when you and I let the Spirit of God on the inside of our being, which is what conversion is. Maybe you thought conversion was just saying a little prayer. No, what you're doing is you're letting Jesus on the inside in the very center of your being. And when that happens and the very Spirit of God comes and dwells on the inside of you and unites himself with your spirit, now God's DNA gets implanted into you like a seed. It gets planted. And as we learn to yield to that and cultivate it, then more and more you and I begin to take on the characteristics of our Father in heaven. And more and more, I love this phrase, you and I become cross-shaped people. I think I coined that phrase. I don't know where it came from, but I love the phrase. We become cross-shaped people where more and more the trajectory of our lives, lives is leading us to a point where we are becoming a people that are ready to sacrifice our time, our energy, our resources, and even our lives for the sake of others, whether that person's a friend or a foe. Whether this person is benefiting me or threatening me, it doesn't matter. Because this is the kind of love God is. God is indiscriminate, unilateral, unconditional love. Here's what Jesus says again in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, near the beginning in chapter 5, Jesus says, uh, Love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Now, maybe this is not going to happen on day one of your Christian walk. All right? This is the, process, this is the journey he's going to lead you on. Where over time, you're going to be crafted into this kind of person. Where you're ready and able to love your enemies and bless your persecutors. And that's when you start resembling your Father in heaven. Everybody loves the people they love or that love them. But when you're loving your enemies... And when you're praying and blessing for those who are using you and persecuting you, that's when you know you're growing spiritually. Maybe that's not true right now, but if you stay on the path and you keep following Jesus, this is the trajectory he's leading you on. 
this is what spiritual maturity looks like. And so the goal of our lives as believers is we want to gradually become the kinds of people who every day, no matter who we meet, no matter who that person is, no matter what's in their life, no matter what circumstances that person finds themselves in, we can love them well. And if that love is not present in your life, or if that love is not growing in your life, then as Paul says, everything else you have is worthless. You can believe all the right doctrines, folks. You can have faith to even perform signs and wonders and miracles. But if it's not motivated by this kind of love, and if it's not done to further this kind of love, then it's worthless. Because above all, God's vision for God's people is that we would become a cross-shaped community. That this is what our lives are going to look like increasingly. Now, the main thing that blocks this from happening is the original sin of the Bible. Eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the reason why that is the foundational sin of the Bible is because it blocks us from doing the main thing that we're supposed to be doing, and it keeps us from being the kinds of people we're supposed to be. And if you were to just distill it into one word, it's the word judgment. Everybody say judgment. Judgment, where we think we know. We, we think we're omniscient. We think we're the arbiters of truth. And so we eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because we want to become like God. Now, here's the thing. We were created to be like God in terms of how we love. But we want to become like God in terms of how we judge. And the minute we do that, we can no longer be like God in terms of how we love because only God can love perfectly and judge perfectly. But for you and I, it's incompatible. Let me show you why. Let me, let's look at these two words, judgment and love, just in, in, in human terms, how we define them. So here's what judgment is. Next slide. Judgment is ascribing worth to yourself at cost to another. So you see somebody, and you're like, man, why can't that person get their life straight? Look how messed up that person is. Look how disheveled their hair is. What, look at that dress she's wearing. Look how self-righteous that person is. And what we're really saying is, thank God I'm not like that. Thank God I'm enlightened. Thank God I'm wise. Thank God I'm pure. And so what's, what's happening is we are ascribing worth and righteousness and value to ourselves at cost to another. That's judgment. Love is the exact opposite, or at least the kind of love that God is. And the kind of love that God dis demonstrated on the cross is the exact opposite. With love, you're, you're ascribing worth to the other at cost to yourself. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross. He ascribed on the cross immeasurable value to every person who has ever lived. How do we know that? Because he paid an immeasurable price. He couldn't have paid a, a steeper price than what he did. So if you, want, you and I want to become a people, a community of cross-shaped people who are learning to love like God, what we've got to do is we've got to begin the process of learning how to collapse all judgments. 99.9% .9 of them, by the way, happen in your mind where nobody can see it. But every one of those judgmental thoughts blocks the flow of God's love in and through your life. And what I hope to show you in this sermon is just simply this. As a kingdom person, 
No matter who I come across on a given day, it doesn't matter what their values are. It doesn't ma- matter what their politics are. I don't care what their, their um, life is like. I don't care what sin is present in their life. Unless I'm on the inside of their life and I've been invited to speak into their life, my job as a kingdom person is to have one and only opinion of that person, and it's the opinion God expressed on the cross, that this is a person worth dying for, and this is a person who has immeasurable value in the eyes of God. And my job is to agree with God's opinion and to manifest that opinion in the way I think about this person, the way I speak about this person, and the way I treat this person. But judgment blocks the flow of that happening. So let's look at a few scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. This is a very enlightening passage. Paul says this. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. Paul says I don't even trust my own brain to to assess my own life. I don't even judge myself. He says my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. But I'm not even going to judge myself, so what's the point? He says, therefore, judge nothing. Everybody say nothing. Judge nothing, next slide, before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God or not. So now, listen, there is judgment coming. Okay? I want you to be clear on that. There's a time of judgment coming. And when that time of judgment comes, everything that's concealed is going to be revealed. Right now, you and I only see appearances, but appearances are deceiving. But there's coming a time of judgment when everything that's hidden and and done in secret is going to be brought to light. It's going to be revealed for what it is. And on that day, everything that is consistent with God's character is going to be purified and refined and ushered into the kingdom. Everything that is not consistent with God's character is going to be destroyed in that same process. The same love of God that will purify all that can be purified is going to be destroyed. Um, it's, it, it, everything that, everything that um, is consistent with God's character is going to be purified, and that same love of God is going to destroy what needs to be destroyed. But folks, only God can do that. And that's what Paul's trying to say to us. And since God is so good at his job, what's the point, Paul is saying, in having any kind of judgments or any kind of assessments? Paul's saying, I don't even trust my own fallen brain to assess my own life. I don't even trust myself to judge myself, let alone other people. So what Paul's trying to teach us to do is to learn how to set aside doing this. Because what it is is a form of bondage. But we've got this nonstop gossip column going through our minds all the time. We feel like we have to have an an opinion and a judgment about everything and everybody. As if we're the kings of the earth and we're the the arbiters of good taste and the moral policemen of the world and we feel like we have to have a judgment on everybody and everything. And every one of those judgmental thoughts blocks the flow of God's love in and through our life. And it's bondage. What's happening is Satan, who is the accuser, is now turning us into little accusers. And we're doing his job. But Paul says that when we genuinely trust God to be the judge of the earth and our whole identity is in Jesus, now we can set that aside. 
And now every person I come across and every person that enters my mind, I only have one opinion of them, and it's Christ and him crucified. And you see, the cross now changes the way I look at everybody. The cross, first of all, changes the way I understand God. No matter what pictures of God I've acquired throughout my life, the cross tells me perfectly who God is. This is what God's character is like. The cross also tells me who I am. Apart from all of the messages that I've absorbed about myself throughout my life, you're no good, you're useless, you're worthless, you'll never amount to anything. The cross tells me who I truly am. That in God's eyes, I have immeasurable, immeasurable value. And guess what? God's opinion is the only one that matters. So the cross changes the way I understand God. The cross changes the way I understand myself. And the cross changes the way I understand every person on this planet. And it ain't just me. Everybody's got unsurpassable worth in the eyes of God. And I'm going to treat them as such. But you see, as, as, as long as we keep nurturing these silly, demonic, accusatory assessments of everybody, it's like now I just become a religious parasite where I'm just feeding off of people rather than feeding them. And it's toxic to your spiritual health. And it's toxic to the community of faith. And it's a heavy burden none of us were ever meant, to, ever meant to carry. But if we can learn how to wake up to, those, to that internal chatter and just set it aside and just simply agree with God, it's so freeing. It's so exhilarating. It's so empowering. It's so wonderful. It's beautiful. So that's the wrong kind of judgment. Y'all with me this morning? All right. Elbow your neighbor for me. Just make sure they're awake. All right. Some of y'all elbow, I mean, I, I tell you to do that all the time. Some of y'all probably wear flag jackets by now. So that's the wrong kind of judgment. But there's a different kind of judgment that I want to focus on now. And with this kind of judgment, not only is it okay for us to engage in, it's actually essential and it's healthy for us. And this is what we call discernment. Everybody say discernment. Discernment comes from the Greek word krino, and it means to, to distinguish or to separate. But here's the thing. What's being separated is not people. Now, that's the wrong kind of judgment. With the wrong kind of judgment, we're separating people. These are people are good. These people are evil. These people are insiders. These are outsiders. These people are us. These people are them. And so we're separating ourselves as the good people as opposed to those bad people. That's the wrong kind of judgment. With discernment, what's being separated is not people, but things. These are things that are consistent with God's kingdom. These are things that are not consistent with God's kingdom. So we see an example of this word in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, and it says this, But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So that's the word distinguish there. You're not separating yourself as the good person away from these evil people as if you're a less of a sinner as they are. Because as Paul teaches us to do, we're to consider ourselves the worst of sinners. You know, the, we got a two by four in our eye. Their sin is like a toothpick. That's how we are to see ourselves. So we're not separating people. We're separating things. These are things that are healthy. These are things that are hindering us. These are things consistent with God's character, things that are not consistent with God's character. And this is called discernment. And in the body of Christ, just like this body right here, this local body, we need to have relationships with people, whether it's two or three people at least. We need to have people on the inside of our life 
who are helping us discern things. Because you cannot grow without it. I'm just going to tell you. You've got to have some people in your life that can help you discern some things. How many of you are with me? So a couple more verses in, in, in uh, First Peter. Uh, Peter says this, the time has come when judgment must begin at the house of God. Notice, judgment begins in the house of God, in the family of God. We're not called to be the moral policemen of the world. Judgment begins in the household of God. We see it even more clearly in 1 Corinthians 5. Look what Paul says very explicitly in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 5. He says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? It's a rhetorical question. It's none of our business. And I wish this were crystal clear to Christians today. We've got no business judging people outside the church, trying to hold them accountable to things that they've never even signed up for. The only people in the Gospels we find doing that were the Pharisees, and Jesus rebukes them for doing so. Got no business judging those outside the church. But he says, are you not to judge those inside? And what's going on here in 1 Corinthians 5 and 6 and 7 is there's some pretty gross immorality taking place in this local body. And Paul's saying, listen, guys, you're in the community of faith and you're in this thing together. Together, you are the bride of Christ. See, this, guys, this has to be a shift in the way we think. We're not all individually brides of Christ. This is not polygamy. Together, we are the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. We're in this thing together. And what affects you affects me. What helps you helps me. What hinders you is hindering me. And Paul's saying, in this little gathering that's happening in the city of Corinth, you guys have pledged yourself as the bride of Christ to live faithfully before Jesus. And, and as the bride of Christ, you need to have some discernment together. And you need to be able to tell what's helping your community of faith and what's hindering. You've got to have some discernment. And in 1 Corinthians 5, he's dealing with a guy in Corinth who's sleeping with his stepmom. This is not helpful. This is not kingdom stuff. Paul's saying, use some discernment, folks. You're here to help one another live faithfully before Jesus. And if this guy won't knock it off, you've got to remove him from your fellowship, he says. But even then, it's not a vindictive thing. It's done for his own good in hopes that he'll finally turn around. But the point is this. We need to have relationships with people in our lives who can help us discern things in our lives that are helping and things that are hindering us from living out our faithfulness to Jesus. Now, here's, watch this, very important. In the early church, their gatherings were structured, structured in, a, in a way that was very conducive to this type of discernment. Whereas in so much of the modern church, it's, our, our environments are not conducive for it. Here's what I mean by that. When you and I think of church, if somebody says, hey, are you going to church? What we think of typically is this kind of gathering, this large gathering out here where we have a few hundred people on our campus right now. And even if you've been here for decades, you don't know everybody in this room. There's not a person in this building right now who can name every person in this room. There are folks in this room right now, if you passed them up in Walmart, you wouldn't even recognize them, let alone know their names. So a lot of these folks in here may be complete strangers to you. But in the early church, this was not the primary unit of their fellowship. Now, we do read in the book of Acts, they did sometimes have large citywide gatherings like this. But the primary unit of the early church 
was their meetings in their homes. We read about it in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, where the early church, they would meet in small gatherings in their homes. They didn't own a church building until the 5th century. So they would meet in homes, homes no bigger than your house, probably much smaller. And in a house like that, you could only even fit maybe 15 to 20 people. And Acts tells us that they would meet in their homes throughout the week. Even early on, it says they would meet daily. They would meet regularly throughout the week. The same 15 people over and over and over again, they would break bread together. They would share meals. They would pray together. They would worship together. They would speak into one another's lives. And when you're meeting with the same group of 15 people multiple times a week, week in and week out, you start developing some close camaraderie. And you see, this was happening in an environment of persecution where where people were hostile to Christianity. And so these early gatherings that were taking place in these homes throughout Asia Minor, now they saw themselves as like, we're like a, a battalion stationed behind enemy lines. And we've got to have each other's backs. And we're called to live as the radiant bride of Christ and swim upstream against this pagan empire culture and, and manifest a different kind of culture, the culture of God's kingdom. And so we're in this thing together. We've got to help one another. And we've got to use some discernment and keep one another on track. And they were in those types of close-knit relational environments where they had built so much trust and relationship where they had the equity necessary to speak into one another's lives and to be able to discern, hey, I think you're going off track here. And it wasn't taken as, well, this person doesn't even know me because, of course, they know me. They see me multiple times a week. We worship together several times a week. But you see, in an environment like this, Let's say you're sitting here on a Sunday and a complete stranger walks into the room and you see something on the outside of that person's life that maybe is not consistent with God's kingdom, or at least in your opinion, it's not consistent. Well, first of all, how do you even know that that person's even a professing believer? You may not even know that that person even is committed to Jesus. They just showed up. Maybe they thought this was... They didn't realize it was a church. I don't know. So you don't even know if they're a believer. But secondly, even if they are a believer, how do you know that that's that issue that you see is something that God is trying to work on right now in their life? Because I'm going to tell you, we all have issues. Turn to your neighbor and say, you've got issues. Now tell the other person, so do you. We all got issues, man. I've got issues. Don't say amen. We've all got issues. And this thing is a journey, folks. Christianity is a lifelong expedition. God's not trying to get it all fixed in one week because we can't handle that. Would that be overwhelming to us? What God tends to do is is he says to me, okay, Ryan, right now let's focus on this area right here. Let's kind of drill down on this area. And you know what? A couple months later, he says, now let's turn our attention to this issue. we got a long way to go, Ryan. Next year, it might be something else. So this is a journey, folks. Life, people's lives are complicated and they're delicate. And you don't know that the issue you see in that person's life is even something God wants them to pay attention to. Maybe that's just a symptom of the real problem, and God's trying to deal with the real problem. You're trying to deal with the symptom, and you're messing it all up. You're actually confusing the process. 
So unless you're on the inside of that person's life and you have the authority to speak into their life, they've given you that permission. Folks, when we just barge into somebody's life with our own opinions, you know, we may have the best intentions of the world, but it's like a bull in a china shop. And unless our lives are intersecting and, and we've, we, we're on the inside of each other's life, you can actually cause a lot of harm by, by just giving your assessments about somebody about whom you know very little. From time to time, I have people that do this to me. You, you might be surprised how often it happens where somebody's got an opinion about my life. Say, Ryan, I see something in your life that I think is wrong. And I'll listen to him and consider it before God, because who knows, maybe God does want to use that person to speak to me. I don't want to put God in a box. But you see, it doesn't carry nearly the kind of weight that it would if this were a person who's on the inside of my life. And they've got some relational authority there. And they've spent a lot of time with me, and they've invested time in me, and they've prayed for me. And I know they have my best interest at heart. They're not, they're not feeding off of this. They genuinely want to help me, and they know that more than anything, I want to be more like Jesus, and they're there to help me do it, and I'm here to help them do it. But you see, if it's a complete stranger, it's like, who, who are you? You don't even know me. You just see the outside of my life. And, and your perception of that may not even be accurate. Furthermore, I don't, I don't even know what this person's motive is. Maybe this is a self-righteous kind of thing. Maybe, maybe they're feeding off of this somehow. Correct discernment happens in a close relational context where you're on the inside of each other's life. And if I'm not on the inside of this person's life, then my job is to do one thing and one thing only, and that is to simply agree with God that this person is worth dying for. They have unsurpassable worth in God's eyes. That's it. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what I see. It doesn't matter what their issue is. I just simply agree with God they're worth dying for. Now, listen, if it turns out that I am called to be in community with them and I am supposed to be on the inside of their life and we develop that kind of bond, now that becomes a place of discernment. And that's very, very important. We need that. And some of you, this is the message you need to hear today because you don't let anybody on the inside of your life. You just show up here every so often and then you leave and you don't have anybody in the body of Christ who's actually close enough to you to see your issues. You keep people at arm's length and I'm telling you, you're stunting your spiritual growth. We've got to have people and this is not something that develops overnight. This is why we have small groups. This is why we tell you to get involved in a small group. I'm not saying that's the only way to do it, but we've got to have at least a couple people close enough to help us see our blind spots because we've all got blind spots. I've got blind spots. And there have been times where God's had to humble me and use somebody else to show me something about myself that I don't see. And I thank God for that because it helps me to grow. We need people to help us see those things in our life. There are times when, when we're, we're living in this American culture and there are ways that we can conform our lives to the values of the culture in ways that we don't see and we don't realize. And so we've got to have some people who are close enough, who've built enough trust in us, with us, and who we've given permission to, and they feel that permission to be able to speak up when they see something that's not consistent with God's kingdom. And everybody needs that, including me. And I thank God that I've had those people in my life over the years, and I'll have to find some more people like that when we move. But I've got to have people in my life who are able to say, without me getting offended or me saying, who are you? 
I got to have people in my life who, who I know who they are and I know they care and I know they have discernment who can say, Ryan, it seems like your passion's kind of waning a little bit. I'm just, I'm concerned. I just think your fire's going out a little bit. Or Ryan, I think you need to reexamine your priorities. I've, just in the last few months, I've had somebody who I trust who's built that kind of relationship with me saying, Ryan, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be real general here, but you need to put your family at a higher priority in your life. You need to include your wife more in what you do. And I received it, and I accepted it. And you know what? It stuck with me because of that kind of relation, relational bond that I've created with that person. I need that. So do you if we're going to be serious about living a distinct kingdom life and swimming upstream against the pagan culture we live in. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. To learn more about Northside Assembly of God, check out our website at www.northsidecrowley.com.